blessed by God as you tune in to Lady Reverend Adelaide Pewart Mills. Praise the Lord and welcome to the question and answer segment of this program. I realize during my conferences and even after that we all come and we have questions, we have dilemmas, and we have issues. Everybody has issues, no matter who you are. The woman with the issue of blood was not the only woman with issues. Hers was an issue of blood, but we have issues in all our lives. And I am no wise sage or any super woman, but I know by experience. For the Bible says, I have learned by experience, you know. So I know ex- by experience that the Bible has the answer. That the Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path in a very dark and dreary world. And it is the counsel of God that by his grace I seek to bring to the people of God. I have no wisdom of my own but only the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that comes from the word of God. Therefore, let us just relax, trust in the Holy Spirit to bring us answers, trust in the Holy Spirit to be a wonderful counselor in this segment, and trust God to bring us answers. Beloved, I am not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. I know your skies are dark 
you think the sun won't shine In case you don't know But the word of God is true And everything he's promised He will do it for you That's the reason I say Blessed as you listen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Please sit down. Let's share a word of prayer. Father, thank you. And to you shall the gathering of the people be. Your word says that the entrance of your word brings light. Please bring light into our lives as we come before you with all our questions. Answer our deepest questions. And unsettle all our unsettling thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm a, Christ, a choleric woman, as my temperament. My husband says I'm too sharp. I love him, and I mean no, him no harm. I pray for God to give me a quiet, peaceful, soft spirit. But I am not there. But I love my husband. What can I do? You love your husband. First of all, I want to commend you for being worried about the problem and being concerned about the fact that your husband says that you have a sharp tongue. And I want to say that when we come into Christ, Christ does not leave us the same. But Christ works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. And there are many verses about the tongue. The Bible says that the tongue is a world of evil and that who can tame it in the book of James. Amen. But that is why you and I need the Holy Spirit to be able to tame our tongues. The Bible says that guard your heart, but also says that guard your tongue and that he that will love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. So first of all, God has given you power over your tongue. Amen. Amen. We have power over everything because Jesus lives in us, not because we are supermen or superwomen. And so as you recognize that you need help in this area, you need to renew your mind about your tongue and the things you say. Ephesians 4 says that let your speech minister grace to the people that hear you. Amen. And so, your tongue can be a spring of living water. Your tongue can change. But you will need to renew your mind about the tongue. And that means going to the word of God. Finding out what it says about the words that come out of our mouths. Meditating on that word. And asking the power of the Holy Spirit to change you. And you will change. Another practical way will be, before you say anything, count ten. And ask yourself, if I was addressing Jesus, would I say it this way? If I was addressing my pastor, would I speak? Because some of us, we respect our pastors, but we don't respect our husbands. 
Faisi, but say, oh, pastor, please. Oh, pastor, yes. Oh, pastor. But your husband said, oh, get away. Don't you see? Oh, what's your point? You know? So, our tongues can be changed. And then, I'll also recommend a booklet by Bishop Daggyward Mills. Taming the tongue. Does your tongue need healing? Poison. It all talks about the tongue. So, make your way to the book stand and look for that and meditate on it. And God will give you a change of heart. So that when you have to speak, you will speak. But you will speak with grace. The Bible says that speaking the truth in love. Some of us, we speak the truth, but it's not in love. The truth can be so raw that it can kill. Nobody needs just the truth. That's why the Bible says that law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So you need both. Amen. Amen. Does your tongue need healing? I think you should get that book and you'll be blessed. I only have one concern. Jesus said no one is good. Men may be justified by God, but are never good. So how can there be a good husband in this world? Okay. If good worries you, then let me say Christian. A Christian husband. Okay. I think that would help. She's saying that how can I say they are good men? I said they are no perfect men, but they are good men. And the Bible does say that the fruit of the Spirit, one of it is goodness. Goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, it produces goodness. So that's what I mean by good. And when Jesus said, there's no one who is good, he meant that on our own moral standards, there's no one who is good. But when Christ comes into your life, he produces goodness when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. So if it's a good man that you are not happy about, then let me say a Christian man or a born-again man, okay? How do I know that a wrong person has come between my spouse and I? <laughs> How do you know? Ah, you will know when you know. <laughs> do you understand? When a wrong person comes into your life, he will often say things that are contrary to God's word. The first thing Satan said was, has God said that this and that? And then after that, he had created doubts. He said that he accused God. He said that God knows and the day that you eat this food, your eyes will be open and you'll be, you'll be like him. And that's what he doesn't want. So anybody that talks to you or influences you contrary to the word of God has come between you. Amen. Are there benefits in fasting? If yes, what are the... This is a whole sermon. <laughs> there are benefits in fasting. And we fast because Jesus also fasted. The Bible says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Paul also said, in fastings often, in journeys often, in perils, among robbers. This was a New Testament Paul. He talked about in fastings often. Okay? And so we fast also in Isaiah 58, so that we can break certain bonds and certain curses in our lives. So I will encourage you to get messages on fasting. To enlighten you but yes fasting is scriptural and we do that so that we humble our souls the Bible says I humbled my soul with fasting when Peter had the revelation he was fasting and he was hungry and then God brought this scene to him that rise Peter kill and eat and he said no because I've not eaten anything unclean do you understand so fasting is biblical lady reverend what about being in love with someone but you know people whom who know your beloved and everyone is saying that your beloved is good 
Your beloved is good. You don't know. What do you do? I don't understand the question. Your beloved is not good, but everybody says he's good. Then don't marry him because you don't have any confidence in him. And if you don't have any confidence or trust in a man or a woman, you should not marry the person because the relationship will not be on a good foundation. You mentioned in your preaching that when a lady has a child out of marriage and later she's blessed to get married, it will be opening the church. Will the men also have a closed wedding? If we know. Unfortunately, the pregnancy comes to the woman. But I'm talking about the man who has made the woman pregnant out of wedlock. So the two of them have it in closed ceremony. So it's not just the woman. It's the man. You can't marry alone. Do you understand? But if you are saying that, what about the men? They don't get pregnant. So that will not be a sign for us to see. When both of you are in the church, we would have a closed ceremony for you. How can you become spiritual? If you don't know how to read well, you can listen. You can listen. You have ears. I know people who could not read the Bible, but just by listening, they have become literate, and now they are great preachers. I know them personally. So you don't have to read to be able to listen to the Word. And then also, you can decide to learn how to read. We have what we call adult literacy programs. You can learn to read. It's never too late. Adults can learn to read. So you too can learn to read. But in the interim, you can listen to a message, just like you can hear me now. My husband has a, 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 an outside child. What can I do? Nothing. Accept it. I mean, if he had a child before he married you, then you should know that when you marry a man, you marry him with everything that comes with him. When you come down the aisle, a lot of things are following you, only that we don't see. We see only the bridal train. But the man's temperament, his background, your background, your temperament, your mistakes, what you've done, whether you have a child outside, all those are part of the person. So when you say, I do, you say, I do to the whole territory. Do you understand? So if he has a child outside, I would advise you to get the marriage manual. We talk about the step home. You see, a lot of people, you don't read the marriage manual. And even when you read it, you are not doers of the word. There's a lot of word in this house. But whether we do them is something else. People call from Asia for the marriage manual. They order in droves because they say that they haven't seen a manual that's so practical and deals with everything. But you, you are in this church. Every time you pass by to go and get a, a, a scone, ice cream, and other things to feed your body. Do you understand? So if he has an outside child and he had the child before marriage, you have to accept it. And... You have to walk in love towards the child because the child hasn't done anything. The child did not ask to be brought to this world. Your husband brought him. But as a Christian, you owe unconditional love to everybody. The Bible says, owe oh, no man anything except love. So it's not a privilege. You are, it's not a, a, a favor you are doing the child. It's your Christian duty to walk in love towards the child. As to whether you should go and bring the child to live with you and all that, I cannot say. You and your husband would have to decide. Amen. But as to the step home, I know that you have to walk in love. And we give so many other pieces of advice under the step home. We say that um, 
should the man always go in the name of going to visit that child, we don't believe that constant interaction is important. We feel that the child can be looked after well without all those interactions. But when the child is sick and the child's mother calls, should the man go, all those things, we deal with it. So that's a very long topic. So get the marriage manual and read on the step home. But if you have the child whilst you were married, then the two of you have to sit down and talk about your differences. And you have to tell what you expect. You also tell you what you expect. Whether you want to go apart or you want to continue, it depends on the two of you. And you must iron out your differences. Amen. Amen. Lady Pastor, why is it that when men are in the mood of making love, they don't make you, they don't make you feel, but just jump on you. <laughs> and they let you succumb to their wish. Why? Because that's how they are. Amen. You see? You were made from the side of man. So with all apologies, you are a refined version of God's creation. And that is why you were crafted. You were not made straight from the soil like man. You were made from the side of man. So you are made differently. Do you understand? You are more human, more feeling, more sensitive, more emotional. And the man, excuse me to say, is close to the soil. So, he is likely not to behave in the same way as you. So you are thinking that, oh, he should bring me along, he should love me before anything. And he wants to go straight to the point. Because he is made that way. Amen. Amen. But that does not mean that you cannot tell him about your needs. But many women don't want to talk about it. And many times the way we feel, we feel men feel the same way. We are very different people. In our marriage manual, we say that men are like light bulbs. As soon as you switch on, it comes on. And women are like pressing iron. They take time. The temperature has to rise. So brothers, dwell with us according to knowledge. Amen. Amen. In our marriage manual, we talk about dutiful sex and pleasurable sex. There's a time when it's a duty. But it doesn't mean that you should behave everything as if you are performing a duty. It's all in the marriage manual, just like eating. It's not every time that it's festive when you are eating. Sometimes you are just eating because it's time to eat. And you eat just for energy. At other times, you eat for the occasion. You have candlelight dinner. I hope so. You have romantic times. It's the same food, but in different ways. And so it is in the bedroom too. So accept it, okay? If God has declared his purpose for me, and I have told my husband, but he's taking decisions that are contrary to God's declared purpose, should I just watch and do nothing? Won't God hold me responsible for 
looking on and allowing him to take us away from God's purpose. I'm not saying look on and do nothing. I'll be the last person to tell you that when there's something wrong in the home, look on and say nothing. But I'm saying that when we go beyond a certain point, it becomes destructive and not helpful. And I would say that when you have a difficult situation like that, then you must get a message like the woman of good understanding. Because Abigail was in a very difficult situation. What she felt was God's purpose, her husband couldn't see. And she had to use wisdom to save her household. Otherwise, they will all be wiped out. You too, you need wisdom. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth willingly and abradeth not. Do you understand? So wisdom is something that you have to ask God for. So maybe you know that this is God's purpose for us. And your husband is saying something else. I don't say that go mutely and say, oh, you are the head, so just this. No. You must state your position. You must use wisdom to drive home your point. But beyond a certain point, you have to just pray. Because you have done all that you know to do, and nothing is changing. Amen. That is what I'm saying. And also, you can come and see your pastor. If your husband is also subject to the same pastor. That pastor, this is where God is leading us and this is what my husband is doing, so please help. And I'm sure that your pastor will help. Lazy pastor, is it right to have sex with your husband every day? <laughs> if your answer is going to be yes, then remember, our body is not a daily bread. And we have to look after ourselves for our old age. You are anticipating my answer. And you are telling me that if I'm going to say yes, then you are answering that question also. Come with me to Proverbs chapter 5. Verse 15. Drink waters out of thine own cistern. And running waters out of thine own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you once in a while. Every other day. At all times. I didn't say it all. I didn't say it. If it depended on me, I would not say at all times. But I'm not greater than God. At all times. And be thou ravished sometimes, always, with her love. Let me ask you, how often do you drink water? says, drink water out of your own system. How often do you drink water? Excuse me, ladies. How often do you drink water? <laughs> so, God has given us a way. And every time we go and find another way, the Bible says, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is death. 
Christian men are not allowed to have multiple partners. And their partners are supposed to meet their needs. And the men are supposed to also meet the needs of the women. Now, I'm not saying that your husband should be unreasonable. Even when you are sick, you say, hey, I'm drinking water out of my own system. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But I mean that I think that God in his wisdom says that it is something that has, been, has, has, that has to be indulged in often. Because God knows the sparks in a man that we don't know. You see, we don't know women. And we don't even understand it. Do you see? We don't even understand that. So sometimes when they are preaching, they say, Brothers, even since you came now, you have sinned in your mind. I cannot say I understand it. I, I, I don't understand it. Sinned how? How do you see a woman you don't know and then you are thinking about it? I don't see how. But I'm a woman. You understand? But men behave. How can you see the calendar of, let's say, a woman from Alaska? You don't know her from anywhere. And desire her. I don't understand it. But I've come to see that I'm not a man too. You see? So once, not long ago, we were in overcoming service. And they were saying, brothers, how many of you will say that your thoughts, something, something, then they got up. And we were sitting at the back. And I was sitting with one lady whose husband got up. And then we said, hey, then you will suffer power in this life. We don't understand why you are standing up. But it doesn't change the fact that we are not men. And men and women differ, usually, all things being equal, in terms of sexual appetite. And we have to accept that difference, averagely speaking. Amen. There may be some women who are on this divide, some men who are on this divide, but averagely speaking, that is how God has made us. Even in the animal kingdom. My husband likes watching this wildlife. I always see there's the male lions, male hyenas. Male... I said, this thing, that's how God has made it. You understand? So, instead of being angry with it, you see, this is what sometimes leads to the breaking down of Christian homes. Because we put our husbands under undue pressure. Have you not noticed that when you are fasting, things that you don't normally like appeal to you? It's the same way with things in the bedroom. When I'm fasting, things I would never dream of eating. I see them being so that's hey, when I break this fast, I'll eat some of this thing. But it's not true. You won't eat it. It's just because you are starved. So you are desiring things that you would normally not desire. So in order to keep the marriage bed undefiled and to keep protect our marriages, God says, Be thou ravished always with her love. And let her body satisfy you. It is God's wisdom. But you, you want to starve your husband and at the same time you want him to stay faithful to you. <laughs> I am not saying that you should be unfaithful because of that, but you are putting him under undue pressure. Some of the brothers, do you want to starve us relationally? You don't want to show us love. You don't want to be romantic. You just want to be raw in yourself. And then, you know, one day a pastor's wife called me, not even in our church. She called me and said, Sister Mami, when your husband doesn't have time for you, every day he's gone out to preach. When he comes, he doesn't talk to you. He does whatever. And then you find a colleague at work who is always having time for you, always talking to you. She said, I know that I'm getting unduly close to that person. What should I do? 
I said you should pull yourself away. She said, but he's fulfilling a need. He talks to me. He cares about me. He asked me about the problems in my life. Therein lies a woman's need. And it will also be wise on the brother's part to sit up in that area. Do you understand? So let's stop thinking about what we can get and begin to meet the needs of the other person. And when we do that, your need is met, my need is met, and we are blessed. Amen. Amen. If I say yes, then this. Hey. What can I say to a man? How love about, he's not living in Australia. And he is, he wants to marry me. But I feel like he loves me. <laughs> Transatlantic, transpacific, transcontinental uh, relationship. Anyway, you say you don't know him. You have to get to know him. Bible says prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. How do you prove? Time proves a lot of things. Do you understand? So either he comes to visit or you go and visit. Get to meet him, know who he is. But before you go, don't tell me you met a stranger on the internet. You can come back and or not come back. Maybe you may be murdered. It's true. So you have to wisen up. And if he's far away, Bible says in a multitude of counsel, there's safety. Talk to your pastor, talk to other godly people. Tell them about him. And find out more about the person before you tell me that you love him. Do you understand? Relationships must be nurtured. So be careful, especially these days with internet, all sorts of things. Isn't it isn't right for the pastor or leader to say, I don't like this way. Bring yourself in the church. What does it mean? Is it right for the pastor or leader to say, I don't like this way. Bring yourself in the church. I don't understand it. Is it right for the pastor to tell you what he thinks you should do? Yes. If you have someone who wants to marry you, but he's not going to church, what can you do? The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The basic thing a believer can do is to attend church. It's one of the basic Christian practices that a believer can do. Now, this person does not come to church to start with. Why do you want to start your life with such a person? You say you are a Christian. Oh, I hope you are a Christian. I hope you are a born-again Christian who has given her life to Christ. And if you are a born-again Christian, then it means Jesus is Lord. And you do what your Lord says, not what you feel like doing. If a person does not come to church, he is most likely not a Christian. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. What does darkness have to do with light? What does Belial have to do with God? What does the temple of God have to do with idols? So you have nothing to do, no business with an unbeliever. Do you understand? So don't tell me he doesn't come to church. What can you do? Nothing. You can drop him. We create problems. You see, life already has enough of its problems. Then we create extra for ourselves. I mean, God is just trying to lead us in a way of peace. Okay? Auntie Mami, is traditional marriage recognized by God? 
Or you still have to be blessed in church before your marriage is recognized by God. If your partner has married someone and you get married to him when he divorces, have you committed adultery? Please advise me according to the word of God. Marriage is according to the laws of the land. Do you understand? So in Africa, we have traditional marriages. And they are marriages all right. But we say that with a traditional marriage, you say you are born again Christian. No Jesus is mentioned. No God is mentioned. So even if you want to marry traditionally, have your traditional marriage, but let the church also bless your marriage so that there will be a spiritual component to your marriage. Apart from that, I can only talk from the Ghanaian perspective of traditional marriage. In Ghana, when you contract a traditional marriage, it is basically a polygamous marriage. The man has the right to marry as many women as he wants and to infinity. That is traditional marriage. Every type of marriage has its own laws. So in Ghana, we say that when you marry and you just sign a traditional marriage register, you are just registering your position in the marriage as wife number one. <laughs> but you are not precluding the man from marrying other women. It is legal for him to have as many wives as he wants. Now here you are, Christian sister. Why do you want to just append your signature to a traditional marriage where they'll come and add Igla and Ihunuam and all these people to you? So we advise in the church that even if you have traditional marriage because of the custom, do it the Christian way, first of all. We don't pour libation. We don't call on spirits. We don't call on dead ancestors. We don't feed dead ancestors like will be done traditionally. We do it the Christian way. We do not bring alcohol to marry the woman. We bring money to represent whatever you are asking us to do. Now, after the traditional marriage, then we say, come to church. Come and say the Christian vows. Come and sign the marriage register because marriage under the ordinance says one man, one woman. Because it was built on Christianity. The marriage in the West was built on Christian principles. And that is why when you marry a second wife, you are liable for bigamy. It is a crime. But in Africa, if you marry ten wives, it is not a crime under traditional marriage. Now, our societies have been affected by the people who colonized us and all that, including their laws. So in Ghana, we have both forms of marriage. And we say, satisfy all. But... We don't sign the traditional register. We sign the register in the church or the one that says one man, one wife. To protect you, to protect your husband, and to also obey God. Do you understand? So if you marry traditionally as a Christian, you may not have sinned, but you have sinned in signing something that is polygamous. So move on from there and sign a register that is monogamous, one spouse. Do you understand? And then also, the Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path, including your marriage. How come an important thing like marriage, you don't want God's presence or blessing in it? I'll be afraid to do that if I were you. That is different from a wedding. A wedding is the celebration of the marriage. Do you understand? But you can sign without even wearing a white dress. You can sign without wearing a dark suit or a tuxedo. 
You can sign without having a reception, but you can still come to the church and your marriage can be blessed without it being even a, a, a Sunday. You understand? But we say, seek the Father's blessing in everything that you do. Amen. And this question that you are asking me has been discussed in the marriage manual. So that's for the material they are there, but whether you read it. When you marry your husband after he has divorced, have you committed adultery? Well, there's a part of the Bible that says so. So, divorce is sometimes a tricky issue. Because the Bible says that if you marry somebody who is divorced, you have gone into adultery. But the same Bible says that if you are married to somebody and the person wants to leave you, you have done everything. The person says, I'm leaving the departing spouse. You are not bound. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so you have to navigate your way through that to know what you are saying. But I think it's always good to read scriptures so that you know what God is saying. First Corinthians chapter 7. But to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, let her remain unmarried, or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not send his wife away. And verse 13, verse 12, But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, let her not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified, whatever. Verse 15, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. Amen. I think that when he says unbelieving, it doesn't only mean pagans or people. But unbelieving as in, you are not showing a believing heart towards what God has said. We have begged you. We say, don't go. We say, it will work. We say, you say, you are going. The other spouse has begged you. You say, in that case, I think he's not bound. You understand? The Bible says he's not bound because he didn't force you out, hopefully, out of the mind. Because some people, they'll say, I didn't leave her, but they made circumstances such that you couldn't leave, live with them. What is marriage all about? Is it love or just sex? Or do you have to marry because you are too old as a woman to get yourself a man or because others around you have to marry? What can I do? Many women are pressurized by society to marry. I think that I know some women who, if they had their way, would not marry. Most women want to marry, but not everybody. But some of them feel that I've achieved this, I have a degree, I have a good job, I, but people look on me as if I'm not complete. So I have to marry so that I'll earn the respect of society. But if you marry for that reason, all of us come, we cut the cake and everything, and we leave you to your folly. And when you go to the house, you are the one who suffers whatever fire is there. So don't marry for the wrong reasons. But yes, we marry also because of sex, so that we won't sin. The Bible says it's better to marry than to burn. And with a Christian, it is only within the context of marriage. But that is not the only reason. If that is the only reason, then the marriage will not stand. Amen. You marry because you don't want to sin. You marry because you, have a you want a covenant with a person. You marry 
Because you need company. Amen. Amen. When you go home, there's nobody to quarrel with. There's nobody to say, why have you come with your dirty shoes? You need somebody to tell you all that. So sometimes you decide to marry. But if you feel that you are not ready or you don't want to marry, let not the church, society, or anybody pressurize you into marrying. But sometimes you want to marry, but you don't want to do what you should do to be married. You understand? You are proud, you are insolent, you are not submissive, you are not, but you want to marry. How? Nobody wants a person who is insolent. So, it depends. Sometimes you want to marry, but you are too fussy. When you were 19, some people came, you bounced them. 25, you bounced them. 30, you bounced. So it's not that God has not provided. But what you are looking for has not been created by God yet. The beautiful ones are not yet born. If you are in a relationship which started very well, but when you are about to take another step all of a sudden, you start arguing. What can you do about it? It depends on what the argument is about. But arguing is part of... <laughs> I mean, you have differences even in a relationship before you marry. And when you marry, the differences will be heightened. So ask yourself what you argue about and whether you can live with it. If you can live with it, the Lord give you grace. Because it's not going to change in marriage. It's likely that it's going to get worse. But God will help you. <laughs> My husband and I have married for 27 years and have two kids. And he left me and got married to another and asked two kids for him. He came and asked apologies after I accepted him. I later found out that he still has affairs with the ex. What can I do? Leave him. I mean, if you have spoken to him, you have advised him, he's not changing. He left you after 27 years. When you have two other children, hey, women too, you are very merciful. <laughs> Left you, had two children, came back, and you can see that there's no repentance. The Bible says that on grounds of adultery, you can divorce the person. So if you think that it's worrying you, you are going insane. You can't live with it. Decide. The pastor cannot decide for you. Some of you want the pastor to say, Sister, why don't you divorce him? I'll never say that. I'll tell you what the word of God says what I think, and then I'll leave you for the final decision. So decide the way your life is going, what you want. Sometimes through pain, healing comes. Sometimes through pain, a new chapter can open. So you have to decide. Otherwise, every time the person is lying to you, going, coming, going, coming, there's no repentance. What is that? God, even God says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. How come you, you are striving with somebody forever? For the rest of your life, you have to decide what you want to do. Amen. Every reverend, thank you. You are a blessing to my life. Thank God for that. I listen to your messages, and God always has a word at the right time. Bless you. My question, I've been praying for a spiritual mother. I've never had one. Just spiritual fathers. And everything in me wants someone apart from the Holy Spirit to talk and teach on how to be a spiritual person, a wife, mother, and lady pastor, and pastor's wife. I listen, yes, but I pray that God will bless me with someone else in my life physically. And how do I receive a spiritual mother? Now do I know who is my spiritual mother? And how do I be a good spiritual daughter? My mother, my mother, I brought a, a message just for you. My mother, my mother, I, it addresses all these questions. Okay, so go to the back and get my mother, my mother. 
it will speak to you. And often, you sometimes think that when you are physically close to somebody, then you are close. No. When you are spiritually close to somebody, you are closer than those who are. Some people are physically close, but far. They don't have the spirit of closeness. And Bishop always says that some people are far away, but they are closer to him. And some people who are the Kodesh, but are spiritually far away. Amen. So I think that the first and most real form of spiritual contact and closeness is spiritual. Closeness is spiritual more than physical. And then when you need somebody to talk to, somebody to speak into your life and all that, you have to recognize that God brings people your way. Like Ruth recognized that this Naomi, she has been brought my way by God. So as she says she's relocating, she's not somebody that I should just relocate like that. And through her, Ruth's destiny was changed. It's all on my mother, my mother. So get that message, and your life will change. I have always yearned for a spiritual mother, but I've never had one. But I listened to other bishops' wives, like Bishop T.D. Jake's wife. There are certain messages that she has preached, like prisoners of the gospel. It's so powerful. Where she says that the pastor's wife is a prisoner to the gospel. You don't have a life. But when prisoners behave well, they go on parole and then they are blessed. <laughs> you understand? So prisoners of, a gospel, of the gospel is a powerful one. And then she has loving God while standing by my man. It's also a powerful one. And then Dr. Mrs. Betty Price. It's also somebody I listen to and I'm blessed by. You know, so they may not know me physically, but their lives have changed my life. And I feel that they have answered a lot of questions in my life. So, know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit, and you'll be blessed. My husband and I are struggling. She's put dollar signs there. What does it mean? And he's moody, worried, and so am I. How can I help him through this time, and where is God? We are really in need. God did not promise us that there will not be times of need. Even the prophet Elijah, he had a time of need. God said, go to the brookside. I will send a raven to feed you. The same God who said that sat down and the brook dried up. And then he came and said, go to a widow. I have prepared her to give you something. When Elijah went to that widow, the widow was not prepared. We all think that when God says prepare, when you get the person, God, the person will say, oh yes, God has already spoken. The widow said, I don't have anything. Just a few things for my, a few uh, sticks and flour for my son and I to eat and die. The prepared widow to eat and die. And Elijah said, go and make some cakes for me first. And somehow, because I think when God says he has prepared you, it means that eventually the person will yield. And she yielded and then she was blessed. So we will have seed time and harvest time. We'll have morning and night, winter and summer. The seasons of our lives will not always be the same. So there are times when you will be in need. But I think that it's part of life. It helps you to trust God more. And you need to be frugal. Do you understand? Sometimes you need to cut down. There are many things in your life you don't need. You don't need a pair of shoes at this moment. You don't need a dress that is a must-have. Do you understand? 
Some time ago, I said I decided that I needed to save to help towards my children's education. So whenever I was invited anywhere to preach, not only in light and I was given any money, I just saved it. Because I felt that my children were growing, and as I could see ahead, I needed to save for them. So then, now when I travel anywhere, I don't think that it's necessary to buy things or to buy clothes. I feel that I have a higher calling now. Do you understand? So I don't use my money much for such things. Or I have a budget. Within that, that's what I buy. If it's finished, it's finished. Because I have another vision ahead of me. So there are austerity measures. There are strict measures that sometimes you must put in place. And you are really in need. All that I can give you is Jesus. And I can say, believe God. He gives us our daily bread. He may not give it to you monthly. He may not give it to you weekly. But daily, he will take care of you. Do you understand? That's the kind of God you serve. And then you, have to, you need wisdom to know, you know, like Bishop always says, that some people were criticizing him that he has only one pair of shoes. And he said, you, you have so many pairs of shoes, but you have a house. Do you understand? Everybody and what they want to use their money for. My children's school, they said to my son that you your father since we were in primary school he has used the same car we have come to high school to the same car he uses to come and visit you why is he not a man of god does he not know how to change his car do you see but the same person who has not changed his car for the last eight years it was only when i was coming that his car broke down then he was asking whether he can use my car do you understand but as he has not as you deny yourself of something you put the value in something else. And then people later wonder why you have what you have. I don't know if you understand. But even as a church, we have sometimes been criticized for taking coins and boosters. People say, well, what's that? What will coins do? What, but we have learned that from coins, our little and our much, after every offer, we say, well, give a booster, our little and our much. And it helps us. Now, by the grace of God, we are building close to 150 churches all over the world. Then you say that, this church, how did they get their money? How did they? You had more opportunity, but your priorities were different. Everybody is different. So I realized that it's not that God does not bless, but everybody uses their money differently. Some people, they don't look at the quality of life in terms of their home, what they eat, but they are very concerned about the outward, how they look. So your whole investment is in your outward. But in the real quality of life, there's no investment. You don't have to blame anybody. It's your choices. Do you understand? And even as a church, it's also our choices by the grace of God that make us go the way that we go. And the people say, how come you have this? How come you have... You had more opportunity than us. But we all use things differently. So look at your life. You may realize that there are some things that are devouring your money. And then let me also ask you, do you tithe? Because sometimes the devourer has come fully into your life. Because God says, if you tithe, I will rebuke the devourer. And most of us, we keep. We cheat. We withhold from God. And when the devourer comes, we say, God, I've been praying. Why? Because you've broken a principle. Amen. My husband is writing a new book on tithing. He was telling me, he bought a book on the Jewish people and why they are rich. And they said that, Jewish people give us by law 
and Christians give, as by know, uh, whatever God uh, you have decided give. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, 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 having food and women, let's be content. So we have a lot of freedom. So we don't take the tithe seriously. But Jewish people, they take their tithe seriously. And they build. The book was giving statistics that in America, Jewish people give about $4 billion a year. And half of it, $2 billion, is to their synagogues and their beliefs. Their Jewish beliefs. Do you understand? And then when they are blessed, you want to persecute them. You want to put them in gas chambers. You say they are spoiling your... Hey, it's a principle. So also look at your life. Perhaps there's a devourer. Perhaps you have cheated God for years. You have never paid tithe. You have opened the windows of not heaven, but the devourer. And that he has come in and is destroying. So there are principles that you may not have been operating by. But lean seasons are part of life. And God will bring you through. There have been times when I've not been able to buy baby milk for my children when they are babies. Because my husband had come into full-time ministry. And he was not being paid. And our money was just not enough to buy formula for the baby. So we went to the, he was a doctor. He told me that under WHO, that's the World Health Organization, under the UN, there's a formula for feeding poor children. A teaspoon of peanut butter, a teaspoon of fish powder, and a drop of soya oil in the food makes up for the milk. So that is what I fed my son on for a year. And he even developed an allergy. That he asked me often, Mommy, how come there's this rash on my leg? You know, and when the, when the bishop preached about it in church, some people said at the bus stop, hmm, Bishop, he can tell stories, but today he went too far. <laughs> that was the truth. You see, so there are lean seasons, but God will bring you through. And don't let it break your family. Let it cement your love for each other. Lady Pastor, I want to preach, but I have many issues with sin now. How do I rise up? God has always used sinners like Saul and Paul, a murderer. So your sin should not keep you away. Amen. Amen. Jesus didn't say he came for the righteous. He came for sinners to repentance. So come to him as you are, but begin to develop a hatred for sin. Do you understand? And then God will deal with it. You will not become perfect in a day, but if you are willing, God will use you. Isaiah 1.19, he says that if you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. God is not looking for qualified vessels. He is looking for available vessels. Not able vessels, but available Amen. So it's a good desire that you want to preach. And as you, you edge on towards the ministry, many things will fall off naturally because you will see that they are not compatible with what God has called you to do. So, surrender totally to God and allow him to work on you and begin to be faithful in the things that you have been given to do in the church. And then you will see that the gifts and the calling of God will begin to manifest. Amen. Lady Reverend, I never got the opportunity to give up my virginity. I never got the opportunity. A family member stole it from me. Oh, at an early age, at 14 years, I got raped again. I ended up meeting a man who hit me after that. Hit me. What does that mean? Slept with me? And the next boyfriend hit me too. Is it a term? 
Now I have become a Christian, glory to God. But after all, after I got married, when I sleep with my husband, I'm scared. I find it emotionally painful. How do I forgive myself and make love to my husband? This is not a new situation. It's something I've come across. You need to be able to forgive yourself. What happens with women is that, you see, like Tama, Amnon who raped her is very okay. And she who has been raped, she's rather tearing her clothes, putting ashes on her head, whatever, because we carry guilt, not our own. Amen. So instead of I'm not rather feeling repentant, we are the ones who repent, we cry. It's like we have done something wrong. So my heart goes out to you, but I know many great women of God who have been molested and raped in their childhood. Joyce Meyer was raped from the age of five years by her father up to the age of 17. Paula White was defiled. Juanita Bynum, the same. They all have issues, and yet God uses them. And what has happened is that it has taken some time, but God has brought them through with healing, and they've been able to speak about it because they are healed. You need the word of God to heal you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, not to them that bad things have not happened to, but to them that are in Christ. We walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So you need to walk after the spirit instead of what has happened in your flesh. And you need to allow the Holy Spirit to set you free. Tell yourself, I'm not condemned. God does not condemn me. I'm delivered. I'm free. And don't punish your husband, your innocent and nice husband, for the sins of people before. <laughs> reverend lady. Is lady reverend? <laughs> Thank you. I just want to know, when you say brothers talk to us, my husband talks to me, but the way he talks hurts me. He sees only his way and I have to agree. He talks at me, but not with me. Help. Your husband is probably a cholerical. Cholerics don't know how to say things nicely. They are very controlling and they tell you what to do. Eh? They tell you what to do, not what... Even when you have a situation like the two of you and you are talking, they'll be telling you what to do. You see, in this marriage, you should do this, this, this. They don't say what they should do. But read about temperaments in the marriage manual or get the message, the key of acceptance. It's a powerful message. It will help you. And you will understand that it's not that he's out to get you, but every temperament has its weaknesses and they come with that weakness. And then when he talks, he doesn't use the right words. Rephrase it for him. And say it gently that you see, this thing that you said that, eh, what you have done is very foolish. You could have said, what you have done I don't think is right. Rephrase his words for him and teach him how to talk. Gradually, the Holy Ghost will help. <laughs> Amen. Get the message, the key of acceptance. I don't think they have it at the back, but it's a good message. I have a fear that I will not become a good mother to my children, for my mother rejected me and favored others over me and mistreated me verbally and physically abused me. I'm scared. Help me. Unless you forgive your mother, you are going likely to carry on the same spirit to your children. 
because the root of bitterness, it troubles you and then it becomes a defiling spirit, defiles others. Hebrews 12, 15. It says, looking diligently, lest the root of bitterness, huh? it takes a root in you and then it, it troubles you and then it defiles others. So as it comes to settling you, it will trouble you. And then after that, it will start to contaminate people who come in the line of your influence. Amen. So you need to deal with that bitterness. You could read my father, my father. Of course, it talks about a father, but the same principles can be, can be applied to a mother. So forgive your mother, let it go. She rejected you, it wasn't right, but you don't know her issues. And she couldn't have told you all her issues. Sometimes it's issues with your father, and she herself can't cope, and then she becomes broken. She doesn't know what to do, and she just takes it out on you. But really, it's not about you. It's about her brokenness. But let mercy triumph over judgment. Judgment is you are wrong. What she did was wrong. But mercy says, I'm going to jump over that and still relate to you. So let mercy triumph over judgment. And then know also that all things work together for good. You've been rejected. You've been raped. It's not good. But God knows how to use evil things and turn it around for our good. Our sister who has been raped, maybe one day you will stand here ministering. And you will be the healing factor and the healing balm to other women sitting in the congregation. Just like the Joyce Myers and so have become. Do you understand? So God knows how to turn evil for good. Like Joseph told his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God turned it around for good. So sometimes it doesn't matter that bad things have happened to you. What matters is that you need to give them to God so that he can turn it out for good. Amen. So don't be scared. Fear not. Okay? There's another message. Daughter, don't be afraid. Maybe you could get that. Learn to invest in the word. It will change your life. My mom was treated so badly by my dad. Open humiliation, injustice, physical assault, regularly mistreated, etc., etc. After 20 years of this, he just sacked her and discarded her. Till now, he has not gone to her family to officially and respectfully return her to them or to separate her from him. My mom is still hurting, and I hurt with her. My dad has not been made to face up with his inappropriate behavior and the injustice done to my mom. This breaks my heart to see this going on. What do I do? Many times, we take up battles that are not for us. And God has to tell us, the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Because many battles come, we want to put our signature on them. Many battles come to our door, we want to sign up for them. And God has to remind you that the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. So the battle between your mother and your father is not yours. God said, vengeance is mine. And I will repay he says in Romans 12, Beloved, avenge not yourself, but give place to the wrath of God. It's not for you to judge your father. It's not for you to punish him. It's not for you to tell him what he deserves. It's for you to pray for him. God knows how to bring him to that right. And God is a righteous judge. Do you understand? So as for the fact that it has happened, you can't do anything about it. The fact that it's sad, you can't do anything about it but you can release it to God and say, Jesus, this battle, I feel like fighting it. 
But the battle is not mine. So I give it to you. And what did God tell the Egyptians, uh, the Israelites in the face of He said, you will not need to fight in this battle. You too, you don't need to fight in this battle. And he said to Moses, the Lord will fight for you. And Moses said to the children of Israel, and you, you have only to be still. Can you be still? When the Egyptians are coming, the Red is ahead of you, your, your father is not repenting, can you be still? That's also another weapon. Fighting with spiritual weapons. One of the weapons is a weapon of stillness. When the Egyptians are coming, the rest is, and God says, do nothing, stand still. How do I stand still? Therein lies the challenge. So I pray that healing will come. There's a message called, daughter your heart. I think you should get it. Daughter your heart. Very soon, we'll put all this on the website because people call asking us from different parts of the world and we don't know what, so we are setting up an online store to solve all these problems. So daughter your heart. It will bring healing to your heart. And you will release your father to God. And believe God that he will make you what he wants you to be. Hallelujah. Last two, and then we are done. Hey, Reverend. As a woman of God, I know that what you would tell is the best. What about falling in love with the one you have never seen? Okay, I think I've read that one. Then the final one. Is there life after death? Luke chapter 15. Is there life after death? <laughs> Is it Luke 15 I'm looking for? I'm looking for the rich man and Lazarus. Luke 16. I was looking at Matthew when I was saying Luke. Mercy. Verse 19. Now, there was a certain rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. Gay, daily living in splendor every day. Gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers there, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, and neither would they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now in this parable, you see that there was a clear rich man and a man whose name is given called Lazarus. The Bible says they both died. Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. I thought they buried his eyes. He lifted up his eyes after death, being in torment. And he was calling, Father Abraham, 
please send Lazarus to bring me water. They said that we are not still in the world where you used to have a servant to send up and down. Lazarus is now in heaven, and there's a great gulf between us that there's no bridge between heaven and hell. And he said, oh, I beg you, I'm not even asking for a glass of water. If you just dip his finger in water to cool my tongue, I've never heard anybody thirsty who asked for just a drop. Hell must be a terrible place. And those fingers of Lazarus had been buried. But the rich man is saying, send him to dip his finger into water to cool my tongue. That shows us that there's life after death. Amen. Amen. And then when Abraham told the man, you can't cross from here, and you got, the man grew wild. He said, you know, please, I have five brothers. I don't want them to come here at all. He was a rich man. He could have talked about stocks and bonds and investments. But when it came to the cracks, nothing mattered. It was eternity, whether you were for God or you were born again or you were in heaven or hell was what mattered. So he didn't say, I have five brothers, go ahead and tell them how to invest their money. I have five brothers, go ahead and show them how to get richer. He said, I have five brothers, go and preach to them so that they don't come to this place. And Jesus said that, Abraham said to them that, you have Moses and the prophets, you have the pastors, let them preach to you and you must believe. And the rich man said, no, if somebody rises from the dead and goes to talk to them, they will believe. Jesus rose from the dead. The world still does not believe. There is life after death. Even people who don't believe in God. The BBC has a series called NDEs, Near Death Experiences. Many of them have come close to something. They have heard voices. Sometimes they've heard screaming. Sometimes they've gone to a place that looks like heaven. So beautiful, they don't feel like coming back. And then uh, the BBC will be exploited. This person was blind, but she was able to see in the afterlife, and they are so surprised. I say, oh, this one is written in the Bible already. But it's only because we don't believe it. Now, when I look at history, I look at the Jewish people. You know, God said that because you are a stiff-necked generation, you are rebellious, I will give you into the hands of your enemies. They will do this, that, all that Hitler did. God said that it will happen. And then after that, I will lead my people back to the promised land. It was the persecution that made them decide after the war to go back to their homeland. And when they went back, Israel became a nation. It is a prophecy in the Bible that Israel will become a nation in a day. And in a day, on the 14th of May, Israel, 1948, it just became a nation to the shock of the whole world. They don't know how it happened. I have, even, I have the documentary of the war. It became a nation, you know? And the one other prophecy is that the temple will be rebuilt in the spot where the dome stands today. And what has happened is the Jewish people have started to buy the different furnishings and parts of the temple, and they have begun to ship them. And Jesus said, when you see these things, know that my time is getting near. So just history, I, I read history at advanced level. So just history shows me that my Bible is true. You understand? So don't tell me it's contradictory. Is that, that may be facts, but the spirit of the book is powerful. And it remains the most popular book up to today. And Jesus Christ remains the most popular man up to today. And when people say, oh, but what about other religions? I say, you see, other religions, they don't have a jealous God. Muhammad does not say don't believe in Jesus. He says, Jesus is a prophet. They believe in him. The transcendental meditation, they say Jesus is a master. They believe it. it's only Jesus who comes who says that I am the only one. I don't want any rival. So if somebody has come and says that, as 
on me. I'm the only one. I don't want any. And the others don't mind rivals. Then go for the one who minds having a rival. So that even you satisfy the others. Because the others are not against you. Every religion acknowledges that Jesus was not human. Every religion acknowledges that it's only Christianity who says that everybody else who has come before me is a thief and a robber. Jesus said it. Do you understand? And many people are now Christians because they got to the door of heaven. They got to the door of hell and they realized that they were not ready. And God gave them another chance to come back. There is life after death. Otherwise, you are just like the pork that you eat on your table. Because when you are slaughtered and you go, that's it. We all want to believe that. Especially the people who don't want to. The Bible says they did not retain God in their knowledge. Romans 1.28. We don't want to retain God in our... Because when we do, we now have to have a Lord over us. We have to live according to the dictates of somebody called our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want that. So you just put it to your head. There's no God so that I can feel free. But in your heart, you know that there's a God. If you look at creation alone, how do you say there's no God? We went to Canada for Daughter I Can Make It. And then after the convention, they took us to Niagara Falls. I tell you, we were on a boat. We went under the waterfalls. We saw it live. The way the waterfall was, the way it was coming down live, we just started to sing, Oh, God is an awesome God on the boat. And the captain came, You sing so beautifully. I said, it's not the beauty of it. It's the greatness of the person who has created this. We were just filled with awe and worship. How do you say it came from an explosion, a bang, a this? What? What are you telling me? There must be a God somewhere. And if I were you, I'll prepare for eternity. God is not a burden. God is not something that when he comes into our lives, he makes our lives. He rather brings meaning and peace into your life. So why would you struggle with such a person? Why would you not be saying, is there life after death? Is there, is there? Even if there's no heaven promised, just having Jesus in our lives makes us sin. It stops us from going to the mental hospital. It gives us peace that no man can give us. That alone is enough. Amen. So believe in your heart. That the words that Jesus has said is true. He said it that in the, in the last days. Sin will increase. People will be against God. It's, it's all in it. In the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's when homosexuality began. Not now. When the angels came, they wanted to sleep with the angels too. In those days. And Jesus told us that if it was more tolerable for Sodom and if Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of that, it will not be tolerable in our day. It means that it was going to get worse. He told us about it. He told us. There are so many things that God told us that we know. So when we look around, we should understand what is happening. So in the last days, difficult times shall come. Can't you see the times are difficult? They are difficult. Perilous times shall come. He said that men will burn in lust towards one another because they don't retain God in their memory. It's all there. And now we are changing all legislation. We want it. Who should populate the earth? If man should marry man and woman should marry woman, who should populate the earth for you to adopt some? Tell me. If we are all to go according to that desire that you say you want to go again about, we marry men and women marry women. 
the whole earth will be extinguished. We will be an endangered species. We cannot reproduce ourselves anymore. Who should develop, uh, who should populate the earth for you to marry? Who should do that? You know, we always think we are wiser than God, but we go and go and go and we create more problems. We say we are developed. Our problems are also more developed than us. Therefore, we just humble ourselves and say that Jesus is Lord. Europe was built on the word of God. Their marriage, common law, civil law, everything was built on the word of God. When I was studying law, common law, which is the jurisdiction of all commonwealth countries, we were told that the origin of law was that when God came to the garden to meet Adam and Eve, he, he knew, being God, what they had done. Because when you are God, you know everything. But he still gave them the right to speak. And that is why we go to court. And that is called the Aldi Alterum Patum Rule. Because every man has the right to defend himself. Amen. Amen. We were taught in law, not that our, our lecturer was not a Christian, whatever. But that was the basis of the law. Was that even if you think you know what the person has done, everybody has a right to be heard. You see, so God asked Adam, where are you? Have you eaten of the fruit? What have you done? And he asked Eve, what is this that you have done? He knew what they had done. And so even when you see somebody committing murder, committing this, the reason why courts are set up is so that everyone will have the right to be heard. Do you understand? That is the basis of the civilizations we see. And then we want to now change all and allow all sorts of things to come in. When you look around Europe and everywhere, you see the types of churches and cathedrals that have been built. You see that men of faith have lived before. The type of investment they made in churches today, they've turned their backs on God. They are using places for nightclubs and all that. When I was coming, I saw in the paper, somebody has made a cross in England and put a monkey on it and said that the monkeys also are, are, are dying and, and the only way he could bring people's attention to it was to create a crucifix and he has done it in a place which was a church before and it's a church no more and they have shown it a, a gorilla on the cross I said oh God how far can we go and Christians just sit down Muslims can you take Mohammed and go and put a gorilla you dare not we don't stand up for what we believe and they just walk over our faith. They just treat us anyhow. They treat our God anyhow. And we say, well, our God will fight for himself. We should stand up and fight for our God. Amen. Not with ammunition and all that, but be strong about what we believe. Because so many things are just riding over us. And they use fear and terror. If you say this, you do When uh, Muhammad is put in a cartoon, you should see. But they say anything about Jesus. You say Jesus is not the son of God. We don't fight with you. You say he's not the son of God. We don't fight with you because we know that he's the son of God. Oh, yes. But when somebody draws a cartoon, you have a problem. And Christians should not complain. I think that you people in the West, you have to stand up for what you believe. And you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. For it is the power of God Amen. unto salvation. God bless us all. Oh.